Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Father, we thank you for today. God, and in your word, it says, be still and know that I am God. And stillness isn't necessarily always peace, quiet, and tranquility. Sometimes it's an inner posture where we disconnect from the world and we become present to you and ours. And so today, Father, I pray that we would be still, pausing the to-do list, pausing the endless cycle of life that just plays over and over in our minds. And rather today, we would be people who recognize that you see us, you know us, you love us, and you're with us. So today, God, may we become more like you every day that we breathe. In Jesus' name, amen. So many of us who've been here over the last few weeks, or if you haven't been here over the last few weeks, you know that I've been kind of talking about this phrasing, and the phrasing um, is most tatted. Okay, that means tattooed, most tatted, and mainly it came from this place where I was getting around people, and I'd see they'd have Christian uh, verse tattoos on them, and I would literally think to myself, I wonder if they know the context of the tattoo. And it mainly comes from one of my really good friends who, when, when we were young, came up to me and was like, hey man, what's your favorite Bible verse? And then the next week showed up with that Bible verse tattooed across their entire chest. And then I looked at them and said, hey, do you know what it means? And they could recite the first three lines and then kind of jumbled through the rest. It's like, okay, great. I'm really happy you got that tattoo, but please, I hope you actually can recite it now. But more than that, what we wanted to do is really take famous passages and famous um, kind of things that all us Christians can automatically say and really do a deep dive on them for us to fully understand that there is so much more than I think one-liners we can just pump out and hope they meet the needs of the peace that our spirits want. So what we did, Jeremiah 29, 11, week one, which actually we broke down the entire chapter of Jeremiah 29 and realized that, yes, God wants to prosper you and give you hope and a future and all these things. But it was also written to a people in bondage whose city had just been overthrown and had been uprooted and exiled to another country. And not only that, God was saying, hey, you're going to be here for 70 years, right? How many of you guys know, God, I know you have a plan to prosper me to give me hope in the future. If somebody showed up to your house, burned it down, and then took you across America to a place you'd never been and said, you're here for 70, how many of us would be saying that passage? John 3.16 was another element because John 3.16 is an incredible verse that summarizes a lot of our faith. But at the same time, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus who it's addressed to somebody wrestling and jostling with their faith, trying to understand what, how, and if this Jesus could actually be the person that he thought. I'm forgetting the other ones, so that's it. I've done it for like four weeks. They were all decent, so you can look them up um, on Spotify or any uh, any of our podcast platforms. And I like I like looked too. I was like, man, if I sit here long enough, I might remember. And then after like four seconds, I was like, yeah, it's not coming. Oh, so today, what I want to talk about: most tatted, courage, character, fear, and fulfillment. Courage, character, fear, and fulfillment. 
Now, many of you guys are going to recognize this passage of Scripture, but if you Google most tatted Scriptures, this one actually does come up fairly often. If you guys didn't think I did my Google searches, I did. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the, t- today, this is the entire time we're going to spend is on Joshua 1, 9, this particular one, but we're going to frame it through the narrative of Joshua's entire life. His entire life, Joshua has been groomed and kind of prepped to take over for Moses. And what you're going to find out is this, Joshua 1, 9 is not a one-time command. It's not one time written in, in Scripture. It's actually written a lot. And what we're going to do is we're going to break down why it was written a lot and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of understanding it fully. But before we do, I'll never forget a few years ago, I was at Grace's house, my wife, and we were going through photo albums. One of my favorite people in the world is my brother-in-law, which Jarrell I've introduced to this week, mainly because I forwarded him some videos and different things. Uh, he, he, my brother-in-law is incredible. We had the ghost pepper Popeye's wings, and I texted him that I had them, and he drove and picked them up within 20 minutes and had them too, and sent me a video review of them. He's incredible. But I'll never forget, I'm going through this photo album, and I flick to one page, and he's holding an alley. And it's him and his brother Caleb, they're holding an alligator, but if you look closely, Tyler has peed his pants. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking like, oh, dribbled some water and you're like, dang, people are going to think I peed my pants. I'm talking from the belt past the knees. My boy is holding an alligator smiling and he is absolutely, he is terrified to the point where he has peed his pants. And I'll never forget that because for a lot of us, in all honesty, I've told that story multiple times because it so spoke to me. (laughs) Like, like, how many of us have done something so afraid and terrified that we literally peed our pants and did it anyway? Now, obviously, there is an age attached, but, you know, who cares? What was he, 10? Maybe? Yeah, doesn't matter. I'm going to have some people texting me like them doing something terrifying this week with this... Don't text me anything, actually. I don't want any peed pants, posts, pics. Well, alliteration. Anyway. But I love that picture because it's such an image, right? Of somebody who wants to do something but is terrified to do it. And if I were to ask you today, do you want to do something? I think many of us, that, that has an impact or makes our lives better or takes us to a place we never thought we would go to, I think a lot of us would be like, yes. But I also follow that up and say, are you willing to do something that terrifies you? And for some of us, we're like, I don't know if I love that language. Well, I'll I'll insert you into our story. We come here for one week and we go back and God says, leave everything. Leave your family. Sell your home. Leave every sense of security you've ever known and just trust me. See, once again, when we talk about courage, right, there's so many levels and layers to it where we want to be known as people of courage, but typically to be known as a person of courage requires you doing something that others would not have done. 
And I want to challenge you today, if you're in the room, and even if you feel like you've fallen short on this a lot, that you know you should have done things, but, but you've never really done them. And so to really describe yourself as a person of courage would be a reach. I want to say this to you. You're in the right place. And this sermon is designed for a next step and a new season with Encourage for You. So what I want to do is I'm going to spend a bunch of time on Joshua, but really what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a bunch of time on Joshua, and really the goal is for you to understand that Joshua's story is not just one that we look at and it's like, wow, really cool, battle of Jericho, all the stuff, right? But it's rather one where we might find ourselves within, and in all I believe that Joshua had every excuse humanly imaginable to not be the person he was called to be. But what I want to do is I'm going to actually be reading through Joshua, Exodus, and Deuteronomy and making one strong point in the end, and then a couple little takeaways. So it'll only go on for 45, Spencer. You'll be all right. Okay. So with that, I'm going to read Joshua 1, 6 through, first, through 9, which once again, we know that we're focused today on Joshua 1, 9, and then I'm going to kind of congruently start to rehash the language that's being used here, and what you might find is that it's found all over. But before I do, what you need to know is that Joshua's name means God of salvation. I love that meaning because if you research what's happened is that Moses has led the people right up to the promised land. But because of wickedness and disobedience, he's not allowing them to end. God's not allowing him to enter into the promised land. So ultimately, Moses has done most of what he promised. However, the hard work of actually taking the promised land is now falling to a man who's been overlooked A man who's not Moses, but a man whose name means God is salvation, which I love. Setting the table that he's going to usher in something from God, a salvation or a freedom of sorts that the people had never experienced. But more than that is he's taking over for Moses, who's literally been the most godly man on the face of the planet outside of Abraham up to that point. And what we see about Moses is Moses has been leading a disobedient and volatile group of people to the promised land. Taking it a step further, is he supposed to lead them over people that are bigger, stronger, and that could easily defeat them at any time? See, Joshua is replacing a legend taking a land where he can easily be defeated with a group of people who don't even want to fight. How many of you guys know? Sounds like he might need some courage. Joshua 1, 6 through verse 9, it says this, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give these people possession of the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Notice how quick we're stating strong and courage. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, so you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. 
Verse 9, our famous one. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Yes, he has. What we see is this is the third time that it's been spoken, but it's not actually the third time. It's all over. We're going to find out. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 8.1, skipping ahead. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all your fighting men with you. Arise and go to Ai. See, I have given you the, into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. Deuteronomy, the next book we're going to focus on, is Moses' kind of final words or his own eulogy that he writes. Look how often it mentions Josiah, or not, not Josiah, Joshua, needing courage and strength. Deuteronomy 3, 21 to 22. And I commanded Joshua at the time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms in which you're crossing. You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God fights for you. Deuteronomy 3, 28. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. For he shall go over at the head of his people and he shall put them in possession of the land you shall see. Deuteronomy 31, 7 through verse 8. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with these people into the land which the Lord has sworn their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deuteronomy 31, 23. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land I swore to give you. What I want you to realize is this. Joshua 1, 9 is actually one of 17 instances where God directly says to either Joshua, through Moses, or through his voice, to be strong and courageous, not dismayed, or encouraging him to stand. See, we say Joshua 1.9, right? A lot of us, we've heard that phrase, but do we know it's actually one of 17 times? You know what's fascinating to me is I believe that a lot of us, what we do is we read the story of Joshua and we forget how much reassurance he needs how much God has to constantly not just remind him because he's inadequate, but remind him that, listen, be strong and courageous because I'm with you. Be strong and courageous. I'm fighting for you. Be strong and courageous. You're going to take the land. You're going to defeat the kings. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong. If there's one person who should actually have the tattoo, it should be Joshua. And I want to say this to you today, because I believe a lot of us, we haven't had that revelation of serving God, of being strong and courageous. We've lived our lives following him, and we know about faith. We know about love. We know about grace. We know about forgiveness. But if Joshua needed it 17 times to be reminded of the battles he would fight and the victory that he would receive, do you believe that you need the reminder? to be strong and courageous. See, strong, I think a lot of us, is just a a loaded masculine term rather than the steadfast, trusting, following, and fighting term that I believe God has intended for us. One of 17 times 
Be strong and courageous, Joshua, Josiah again. And I want to encourage you today. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about, in closing, four ways to assess your levels of fear and of courage. Four ways that you assess your levels of fear and courage. And the, re- the whole point of this is to take this Joshua narrative of a man who's replacing an absolute legend of the faith and realize that he couldn't do it alone. But not only that, the reason he needed reminded is the reason we all need reminded. Because courage and faith aren't just things that we naturally walk out in. It's a trusting, believing And following God that's contrary to our comfort and to our personhood. So with that today, four ways to assess your levels of fear and courage. Number one, fear is a connection issue. Tighten up your habits and watch your life transmit holiness. My brother-in-law, he gets two stories today. I'll never forget it. A few years ago, I was picking him up. We were going to play basketball. He said, hey, my car's broken down. I said, okay, well, I'll come pick you up. I pick him up and he says, you know, it won't start. And we're looking at it. And I'm just like, ah, he's like, I think it might be, uh, I try to charge the battery. I try to jump it. It's not working. It must be the alternator. So I'm like, okay. So I pick him up. He gets his car towed and he gets his car towed. And about halfway through the next week, as he's been living without this car, they call him and they say, hey man, your car's fixed. And he said, great. How much was it? They said, oh, it was free. And he said, what do you mean it was free? And he said, well, you're... Your clamps that connect to the post of the battery were loose. So we just tightened them, started right up. (laughs) I want to say this to you today. Do your habits keep you tied to the Holy Spirit that charges and directs and leads your life? Because in all honesty, habits today, in my opinion, are the new, I would say, buzzword of faith. Because what we're seeing is this, in all honesty, right, I'm somebody who I love the church. I've grown up in the church. I am who I am because of the church, but I've seen the negatives of the church. Not just the negatives of people in the church, but the negatives of pastors who've taken advantage of people, who've misappropriated finance, who've done things wrong ethically, morally, who've not been good husbands and fathers. And what I'm seeing is this, is when you have habits that tighten you to the Holy Spirit, you live differently. And if you don't have disciplined habits, what's happening is there's a loosening to a scriptural awareness and lifestyle in which you don't live for him, but you think you do. And I want to say this to you today because I think for a lot of us, right, what we realize is you have a, you have a hyper-awareness of fear because you haven't had habits of faith that can actually frame fear through this is just what we're going to face sometimes, but we can overcome it. 1 John 4.18, perfect love's casting out all fear. What does that mean? Perfect rhythms and revelation of habits that are founded in the love of following God casting out fear. See, a lot of us, we just want this God, give me the perfect love. But we don't have any habits in which that love is reinforced into us, coded into our DNA in something that we live out and are challenged in being a person around. See, perfect love can cast out all fear, but you have to have a revelation of that love, a practiced 
awareness of that love. An understanding not just from a theological framework, but from a I'll love any neighbor anywhere framework. And what I want to say to you today is this. Is for a lot of us, even if I were to read, I'm going to read this passage, but how many of us have had this revelation? I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. See, even that Psalms 34 verse 6, even that verse for some of us, we're sitting here and we're like, man, I have an awareness of fear But do I have an awareness that if I seek the Lord intentionally, rhythmically, rooted in my schedule and my personhood, time with Him, in which He is forming and shaping me into who He has called me to be, that if I were to do those things, that He could deliver you from the fear that you face? And I want to challenge you in this because I believe a lot of us, we have a hyper-awareness of fear. And we overestimate fear and we underestimate habits of holiness. And I want to say this to you today. I feel like God's wanting to tighten you up to the posts that allow that energy from God. Not this new age weird energy that's just hijacked Christian Holy Spirit. But rather this idea that we can be so hooked up to the Holy Spirit that His power is transmitted into our personhood every day that we breathe. The second thing, practicing courage are the weights of development you must lift for your spiritual health over the long haul. You know, I was talking to Parker about this this week. You know, I, uh, my entire life I was super small and I kind of got a word one day. I'll never forget this because I've always worn um, super baggy shirts, meaning I don't like tight shirts. I don't like really tight anything. So I always wear 2XL. And I remember I was wearing this shirt and it was too tight. And the Lord, I felt like the Lord said this to me. He said, Micah, you've always worn bigger shirts because you weren't comfortable in your own skin. But now because you've been faithful in, in, in doing the things necessary for, for growth, right? You don't have to cover what you're ashamed of anymore. And I, and I want to say this to you. I think for a lot of us, what we're not recognizing is to lift the weights of courage forms muscle inside of us that allows a spiritual health, vitality, and fulfillment over the long haul. And I would say this, if you're not lifting the weights of courage necessary for strength to be evident in your life, don't be mad when you feel weak. That one was pointed, I'm sorry. If you're not lifting the weights necessary for you to develop spiritual strength, don't be mad at God when you feel the deficiency. And I want to say this to us today. See, it takes courage to confront people, but it makes relationships stronger. It takes courage to stand up for ourselves, but people realize they can't roll over us. It takes courage to take on something new or go in a new direction people don't expect. And maybe we will look like a failure for a season, but proving people wrong does more for destroying stereotypes about you than anything else. It takes courage to to cut out toxic people and environments, but you're healthier because of it. It takes courage to open up to people about your struggles, but there's healing in it. 
It takes courage to admit you were wrong and say sorry. But trust is built from it. It takes courage to take control of your life and stop allowing others to dictate it. But freedom is found in it. It takes courage to commit to something that you know has a cost. But trust that paying that cost can, cre- can create compound interest in an area you didn't expect. It takes courage to be truthful with your spouse and yourself about things going on that you don't know about. But your marriage can become stronger through it. It takes courage to sacrifice literally anything. In this world of consumerism and materialism, to give your time and resource is against social norm. But it's the example of the one we follow who sacrificed everything. And I want to say this to you today. Some of us were wondering why we feel weak, and it's because we're not willing to lift the things necessary that are crushing us to create strength for a new tomorrow. And I want to challenge you today. Joshua's story is one where he is confronted every day with his inadequacy, his weakness, and what he wasn't, who, who he wasn't. He wasn't Moses. He wasn't the man who literally, when you looked upon his face, he had to wear a veil because he shone so bright. He wasn't the man who spent time literally with God, who wrote out the law, who brought the tablets, who was the man who led them out of one of the most powerful nations in the world just by signs and wonders. He was not that man. But you know what he was? Courageous and strong. Sometimes we overestimate what courage and strength can do. Or, and by over, we underestimate what courage and strength can do. And we overestimate what we think everything else can do. The third thing is this. Fear speaks from personal insufficiency. Courage speaks of Christ's sufficiency. You must have a revelation of Jesus that he is sufficient or you will always feel insufficient. Joshua could never be better than Moses was. I'm sorry, he couldn't. There's a reason that we talk more about Moses today than Joshua. He could have never been better. He could not measure up, and he was insufficient. But did Moses get them in the promised land? He got them to the promised land, but Joshua got them in the promised land. And I want to say this to you today. There's an overlooked story and aspect of Joshua be- Joshua's beginnings that many of us maybe do not know. And I want to read it because it shows the character and the heart Joshua had decades before he took control of the kingdom. It says this in Exodus 33, 9 through verse 11. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the tent is the tent of meeting. It is the most holy place that the people had erected for God to be in. The pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak directly with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise, worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. But this is the part I want you to understand. So literally everybody would worship the tent, the cloud. Moses would be in there face to face with God. Everybody would leave their tent worshiping God, recognizing that he's literally on earth with Moses in the tent. But look at Joshua. When Moses returned to the camp, you know what that means? 
When Moses left and the pillar was gone, the cloud was gone, when everybody was done worshiping, when Moses was done, he would leave. And then it says this, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart the tent. I want you to understand this. This is one of the earliest instances we see of Joshua's life. And what we see is when everybody was supposed to be worshiping, when it felt like worship, when it was literally heaven is meeting earth and everybody's aware of it, guess what? It's easy to do it. But when Moses left and there was no reason to be in that tent, everybody was going on with their lives and rhythms. Where was Joshua? In the place he knew God was. And I want to say this to you. See, we have in our culture for some reason developed this rhythmic response of what, of what performance in God looks like. When the lights are on, when heaven feel, when it's, when church is kicking, all the stuff. But many of us have never had the revelation of Joshua of I'll make my own tent when nobody else is around. And I'll seek God in such a way that I'll be prepared when my day comes. And I feel like for a lot of us, we want our day to come, but we don't want to be prepared for when it does. See, Joshua, one of the earliest instances we have is not of him worshiping when everybody else is. Not him being with Moses as, as heaven is touching earth. No, it was him alone when nobody was looking. Nobody saw him. Moses was even gone. But he was seeking God. The last point is this. Fear is not handled timidly. You must be on the counterattack of what wants to destroy you. I'm going to push pretty hard. This is my final point, Spencer. Don't worry. Two more minutes. <laughs> you know, many of us, we know the saying <clears throat> that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We also know the imagery that's used. He's prowling around like a lion seeking whom he can devour. You know what's interesting about that statement? I've actually, I, I've done missions kind of all over the world, and I've been to a lion feeding. And this changed kind of my perspective on everything. And a lion feeding is wild because it's, it's literally a lion eating in front of you. <laughs> I'm like, this is just crazy. But while the lion was eating, the tour guide was talking about how lions hunt. You know, what's fascinating to me is I believe that this language and imagery is used by pur on purpose by the Lord. Because what you realize is that lions don't actually hunt herds. They follow herds, but they look specifically for those who are sick, who are young, who are slower, who are distant, or who are isolated. See, they won't attack the strength of a herd. They'll attack distance that's created by one member of the herd. So think about this, right? It's the enemy seeking to devour. He's seeking to destroy, but he's not seeking that within the context of the corporate. He's seeking that within the context of the isolated, the young, the sick, those who've created space and distance from the strength of the herd. You know, what's even more wild is this, and I never knew this until he said it, is he said that actually it's, it's the lionesses that do the killing, 
And the reason is, is because the male lions can roar louder than the other lions can. And he said, what happens is, is if they can't break up a herd, listen to this, I promise there's revelation for you in this. If the lion cannot break up the herd, what happens is, is the male lion will, will sneak in front of the herd and he'll get up and roar as loud as he can. And what he's actually trying to do is the lionesses will sneak up behind the herd. And so as the lion, the male lion is in front roaring, he's trying to teach them to run backwards right into where the lionesses are hiding behind the herd. So what is the framework for this? If the herd kept going, even though the roar was right in front of them, they actually would find that they could overcome it. But if the roar frightened them to the point where they would disperse and run backwards, that's what, I guess I should say it like this, that's what the enemy wanted. The herd to be dispersed because of the roar that was in front of them and run backwards into the death that is behind them. And I want to challenge you today in this because fear cannot be handled timidly. Some of us were facing roars right in front of us right now. And your choice is, will you run forward, trusting that God will give you the strength to overcome what's roaring right in front of you instead of shrinking back into the death that could be behind you? Some of us were sitting here and we're looking and we're saying, okay, I don't want to handle this timidly. I don't want to handle this. You know, I want to fight it, right? Are we aware of distance we've created? Sickness that we've caused? Are we aware of aspects of us that, that, that God is trying to push into deeper community and really protection? I believe that that's one of the main reasons that we see such, such breakdown in the communal structure of the church today is instead of us pressing into strength, what the enemy wants to do is fracture us off. Silo us off, create distance to where we're not really known, but we're present. We're not really seen, but we're there. And I want to challenge you today. If you're somebody who you're you're experiencing fear in a real way, you're experiencing fear in a real way. And one of these ways might be just a straight, just anxiety that is crippling. We've got to handle these things, not timidly but be on the counterattack of what's trying to destroy us. Joshua, I guarantee, woke up every single day knowing that he wasn't Moses. Knowing that he wasn't the man that this was supposed to be leading into the promised land. But I'll tell you this. He was the one who got the job done. Be strong and be courageous. Let's all stand to our feet. If you've been here before, you know I just like to read a prayer over our church related to the sermon. So today, as we enter back into just a closing moment of worship, I pray that you would receive this prayer wherever you are. God, today, would you give your people courage? Courage to follow, courage to step out, courage to speak up courage to be still, courage to do the things we know we should do, that tell ourselves 
that we tell ourselves we don't need to. Help us today to pay the cost of a courageous life. One that seeks contentment found in you, not the comfort found in materialism. One that doesn't discount or discredit what we can offer of ourselves, but recognizes that a life partnered with the Spirit lived out from the gospel is fully sufficient to make a difference in our world today. To those with a defeated mind, today give the courage to rise again, to fight again, to live again. Inspire us today to fill the shoes of a Moses, even when we may feel like the nobody of a Joshua. Tighten us up to the electrodes of intimacy with you through our habits and our lifestyle. May we be carriers of your current, carriers of your power. Give us the strength to defend the life you've purchased for us, the courage to fight the attacks that control our thoughts when we are alone to stand up to the stereotypes that people have placed on us and our abilities and give us a sword to kill the negative self-perceptions and self-defeating tendencies we have adopted in a fallen world. May it be said of these followers of you, we were courageous once. May it be said of us, we lived with courage. May people look at our lives and know without a doubt, we followed you with everything we had. In Jesus' name.